White on White, a good omens portfic, written by Twilight City Sky and read by Jarb. I'm not an idiot, Ozeophil muttered belatedly. It wasn't fair. Why now? He'd been waiting four years, four bloody years of leaving his outstretched hand on the tablecloth, of sipping wine suggestively and making doe eyes by the light of battery-operated candles, of saying things like, Oh dear, it's raining cats and dogs, you simply must stay the night. Maybe Crowley hadn't done weather in ages, but Aziraphale had miracled up so many localized gales, downpours and bomb cyclones that a newsman had come to do a piece on Soho's uncharacteristic storminess. He'd considered making it rain frogs, but that probably would have been a step too far. For years of saying, I'm ready in every way he could think of why Crowley looked past him, or through him, and somehow managed to ignore hints the size of the Taj Mahal. Aziraphale had begun to think he just wasn't interested, and then, then he had the audacity to bring it up the moment Aziraphale had been well and truly muzzled. Reeling from what felt like a mortal wound, he slapped a makeshift bandage of anger over the top to keep from bleeding out. How could Crowley have gotten it so wrong? Aziraphale couldn't exactly come out and say, Crowley, dear, I have to go back to heaven or face what you call extreme sanctions for me and for you. Of course I don't like it, but I won't risk your life. Now, he mustn't know that I'm anything less than enthusiastic, and he's watching through that window, so please do shut up about being an ass. Could he? He couldn't tell him, Don't kiss me, you stupid man, not in front of Enoch. Crowley remembered Enoch. He must do. The Chosen One, who'd carried word of the Grigori sentence to them, who had God imprisoned the fallen angels in fiery chains, who helped her drown her children to punish the angels for fornicating with humans. Enoch had become Metadron, God's favorite, but Aziraphale had never forgotten how he'd looked at the Watchers as they filed off to their internal imprisonment under the earth. The disgust on his face while he and God destroyed everything and everyone they cared about. What would Enoch say about an angel who loved a demon? Aziraphale could never let him know. It would put Crowley in terrible danger so he hadn't been able to kiss back. I forgive you, he'd said, daggers in his chest. The words he couldn't voice howled and thrashed inside him like a wild animal. Please, please, I can't. If I let on that I love you, he'll kill us both. How had Crowley not understood? Had he really taken Aziraphale's supposed enthusiasm for being remanded to this 
featureless, white-walled expanse of excruciatingly boring nothingness at face value? Had he thought a Aziraphale would rather do this than devour his mouth like a starving man at a feast? With a sinking heart, Aziraphale concluded that Crowley was simply rubbish at picking up nonverbal cues. If only he'd read more books! Then he'd have recognized in Aziraphale an unreliable narrator of the most obvious sort, the innocent, or perhaps the willful, liar. Jane Austen would have seen through this act in a heartbeat. Blast and dread. He could fix this. He would. But for the time being, he was here. And Crowley was on earth. And, as Crowley himself had so recently said, there's something really wrong. Aziraphale wasn't an idiot. He knew the Metatron had no intention of letting an apostate like him participate in a second coming, not even to fill the dusty rosters, but even so there must be a way to stop it. Stop the end of the world once before, hadn't he? His corporation was practically humming with an incandescent sense of... of something... He'd experienced righteous anger, and the more personal anger that came from being misunderstood and subsequently chucked by the love of his life. How many times was this now? Three? Four? And a desperate desire to protect that outshone self-preservation and, Crowley would say, good sense, but what he felt now was all of those things augmented by an intense physical urgency he didn't fully understand. You were allowed to wear a body in heaven, though not many did. There were far more weird chariots, six-winged seraphim, and many-eyed flaming entities than there were human corporations, but the angels that traveled to Earth regularly tended to stay in their work clothes at home. For them, it was clothing, or perhaps a vehicle, a container for their mortal essences, and nothing more. Aziraphale had been in his body continuously for 6,000 years, and it had picked things up from the humans. That wasn't really supposed to happen, of course. Heaven maintained that functional, dictated form. There were birds with odd-shaped beaks designed for cracking a single type of nut on a single species of tree, and mammoths with long, skinny tongues crafted exclusively for getting down anthills. All perfectly suited for their task, just as God intended. An angel's function was to blend in with humans and influence them towards the light, so having the outward appearance of a human body without all the trappings worked just fine. But in recent years, Aziraphale had begun to wonder if form also influenced function. If an angel wore the body of a nut-cracking bird for long enough, would they develop a taste for nuts? Would a corporation that looked human evolve? A word he knew not to use upstairs. 
He'd seen small organisms changing over time, but suspected his reports on the phenomenon had been filed in the shred bin. The desire for oxygen and warmth and sustenance. He'd tried to tell himself it would, because maybe then the things he wanted could be a little bit not his fault. Just a side effect of being human-shaped for too long. Then again, his organic form had connected him to experiences he'd never give up without a fight, be he bird or anteater or cherub or spinning many-eyed wheel. He'd started his tenure on Earth as a collection of potentialities. He was a room of locked boxes waiting for keys. Every so often, he'd find one. Taste, for example. He'd always had taste buds, but he'd never used them until that stormy night in Ars. He hadn't known the tongue he spoke with could do other things, that it could relay sensations so intense that he'd be temporarily overcome, rational brain snuffed out like a candle by elemental pleasure. Once he had known, well, it had all been a bit of a blur. He discovered dates and fig paste and olive oil and salted pork and fried fish and stews and bread and oh, he'd come back to himself weeks later, wearing soiled robes surrounded by melon rinds and chicken bones. He'd felt vaguely ashamed of himself, but also satisfied in a way he didn't remember ever having been before. An itch he'd had for thousands of years had been scratched. There were entirely new colors in the world. He wondered how it would have felt to have a single taste of food and then stop. If God herself had come down, as he'd half suspected she would, and given him a stern talking to, then of course he would have stopped. But his body would have screamed and gnashed his teeth. It would have hurt and... Oh, bloody hell, that was it, wasn't it? He'd had a single taste of Crowley. Aziraphale shut his eyes and let out a long, resigned breath. This was just perfect. Another box unlocked a space inside him open and inviting, and he had nothing to fill it. He clenched his teeth and tried not to think too hard about that metaphor. What was he meant to do with his body's urgent awakening now, here? If you had a decent imagination, heaven could look pretty much however you wanted. It was just firmament, after all. Aziraphale might be sitting at a crystal desk in an otherwise empty room, awash with cold light, but when he concentrated, the desk became an oak rolltop and walls of rich mahogany rose up around him. There were velvet curtains, cleverly carved chair and table sets, a long low sofa, 
and golden candelabras twined to his snakes. He smiled. The snakes must have been an unconscious touch. While he thought about his next move, he spread his legs to let the fabric stretch across his lap. His clothes were white. They'd put in an order for what they called proper garments, but apparently all that was outsourced now, probably to Savile Row, and it would be a week or two before they were finished. There was no opening in the front of the trousers, because why would there be? He let his hand drop to the place where his legs met, pressed against the unfamiliar hardness there, and hissed. Really, Angel, a voice thirsted at him. Going to have a wank in heaven? Naughty, naughty, naughty. Crowley wasn't here. Aziraphale couldn't put him in this space. It wasn't anything like maintaining walls or a modesty-preserving desk. Crowley was fluid and alive, constantly in motion, all restless hands and golden eyes and long thighs hitched up on the arm of a sofa. Like that one over there, for example. Aziraphale couldn't see him, but he could imagine. One thing before... before whatever this was. Please turn off the surveillance in this room, he said aloud. I need an hour of privacy. Probably all that had done was assure that there were more eyes on him now than ever. Heaven was a nosy bunch. He doubted they'd understand what he was up to, but if they did, well, he'd want them. The heavy, throbbing sensation low in his belly was odd. It wasn't hunger. He knew hunger. Perhaps it was all in his head. But his stomach knew how to clamor for food. His mouth made saliva. There were times when the scent of baking or searing meat made his fingers curl and his teeth ache. This was a little like that, except there was pleasure on the edge of the ache even before he'd taken a single step toward satisfying it. Pleasure and pain mixed together. He knew all about that, too. He let his trembling hand trace, then cup the distorted line of his trousers. What he had there twitched hard at the touch. His lips parted. Some of what he felt were similar to the experience of eating a good meal. A little cloudiness of consciousness, tiny beads of sweat at his brow. The way his mouth got wet and his tongue suddenly felt over-large inside of it. Breathing fast, he stroked his clothed cock tentatively, just using fingertips until he moaned and his hips rocked up, seeking more pressure. The pressure of Crowley's lips! The thought came unbidden, and he groaned, flattening his palm and moving it more firmly over the bulge in his trousers. 
Those lips, oh, they'd been tense and desperate at first, but softened when Aziraphale wrapped his arms around Crowley's waist. Which he shouldn't have done. He'd known they weren't alone, even if Crowley hadn't. A flare of shame came and went in the space of a heartbeat. The thought that their first kiss had been tainted that way, watched over by hostile eyes, and he hadn't been able to respond as he'd wanted. He'd wanted. A rush of images had come into his head. Things he'd seen in films, intimate scenes in books. Noted for further reference, then read again under the covers at night while thinking of Crowley and not quite understanding why. Tongues featured and open mouths. His lips had parted at the thought. He hadn't been able to help it. His body had pushed forward and he'd felt a flicker of Crowley's tongue against his lips. Just for a second but it had been enough to set him alight like kindling, leave him half-heart when they separated, mouth twisting on a sob because he knew then Crowley would never come with him. It's better this way, he told himself sternly. Crowley was safe. He thought Aziraphale had left of his own free will, so he wouldn't try to rescue him. Aziraphale would return to him as soon as he worked out how. But in the meantime, he'd be all right. Aziraphale's breath hitched. Tears pricked his closed eyelids and he doubled down on his fantasy, setting his jaw. He wasn't at the bookshop, forcing himself to say, I forgive you, hating himself, chest ripped open and filled with ground glass. No, no. He was in a room with mahogany walls. It rather looked like a smoking parlor, richly but simply decorated, and he was sitting in a brushed leather wingback chair. He pushed away from the desk, wanting more room to maneuver, and closed his eyes to picture Crowley draped over the sofa again. And he wasn't wearing Heaven's featureless white suit, he was wearing his comfortable old trousers and his soft, shiny-with-age waistcoat. His legs were spread, and Crowley was looking at him with that hooded expression he sometimes got. Hungry, angel? he asked, eyes fixed on the restlessly moving hand in Aziraphale's lap. Ah, oh, I think so. That is... Yes, but I don't quite know what to do, Aziraphale admitted, words coming in stuttering gasps. He was hard enough in the new old trousers that the buttons pressed into his flesh, but at least he could open them now. He did so with a sigh of relief. Let me show you. Crowley rose with a languid roll of his hips and walked towards Aziraphale, taking his time, letting the angel watch him move until his eyes fluttered shut.
Then there was a thump, and when Aziraphale looked again, Crowley was on his knees, shuffling forward on the Turkish carpet, smiling easily up at him. He pulled Aziraphale's trousers and pants to mid-thigh, took him in hand with an easy, practiced motion. A fantasy, of course. Maybe Aziraphale and Crowley didn't tell each other everything, or apparently anything. Had Crowley really said he'd been living in his car? But Aziraphale knew with rock-solid certainty that Crowley had never done this before. His kiss had been frantic and desperate and entirely untutored. And he wanted Crowley that way. He ached to have him just like that. Trembling, hesitant, wild-eyed and half ready to bolt, because that was Crowley, and Crowley was his. The shape kneeling before him was a pale shadow. It was gruel when he wanted foie gras, but his body was rioting, and he didn't know what to do. He was half-mad with arousal, and he needed a guide. Crowley had shown him food. Crowley could do this for him, too, even if it were only in his head. The demon between his legs let him go and sat back. Go on, he told him softly. Touch yourself. You know how humans do it. He did. He hadn't gone out of his way to know, but there was very little of human experience he hadn't seen in 6,000 years. They generally angled their wrists like so, and caught their hands to make a sleeve like so, and... Oh, that was very nice indeed. His back arched, pressing his prick more firmly into his palm. He tightened his grip instinctively, gasping, clawing at the wing back with his other hand. He whined a little, trying to keep the noises in his throat, but this was frightening, and he was all alone. Not alone. I won't leave you on your own. Crowley put a big, warm hand on each of Aziraphale's thighs. Solid. Grounding. Okay. Aziraphale nodded. The skin of his cock felt warm, and it moved pleasantly over the head, which was leaking something that made it smooth and slick. He chased sensations like he'd savored the first gift and texture of meat between his molars, finding the spot that made him moan, finally settling on a rapid up-down motion that sparked deliciously just below the tip on every stroke. His stomach felt full of warm liquid, dripping down into his pelvis and the base of his spine, radiating upwards to make his nipples and lips and neck deliciously sensitive to anything they touched. Crowley! Crowley knew. Crowley always knew what he needed. Except the time it counted, but he wouldn't think about that now. 
The demon surged up and brushed their lips together, curled his hand over Aziraphale's, moved it faster until Aziraphale's head tipped back and his eyes squeezed shut. He bit his lip to keep from crying out. He wondered who in heaven was watching him do this, alone at his crystal desk, and for some reason the thought made him harder, made the blood thump in his cock until it ached and burned under his fingers. Oh, angel, Crowley was whispering. Angel, kiss me, Aziraphale gasped, tears wetting his cheeks as he stroked himself frantically, and this time it was everything he wanted. Crowley's mouth was open, his lips soft as they moved and clung. Aziraphale's tongue pressed inside. He didn't know how to do this either, but here, now, it was hot and sweet and perfect. Something was building, making his stomach twist and his hips jerk and his body quiver. It hurt. Part of him wanted to get away, to run from this, but if the aching pain and pleasure stopped now, he thought he might die. He'd read the word orgasm, of course, not to mention climax and peak and the little death, and he'd wondered, and now, oh, now, now. The Crowley in his mind touched his cheek, watching him with rapt, adoring eyes. Tears, he murmured, just like he had an ass. Aziraphale's body jerked inelegantly, buttocks clenching, eyes squeezing shut. The last few strokes were ecstasy, like nothing he'd known. It was better than eating, better than wine and music and the smell of turning pages. But still the pleasure built, like it was propagating itself, until he definitely couldn't bear it a moment longer, and then it bloomed. Climax, his favorite of the terms he'd read, hit him like the blow of a sledgehammer, exploding out from his exquisitely sensitive cock, spreading to his abdomen and fingers and toes, locking the muscles of his stomach and forcing a strangled too loud oh from his throat. It seemed to go on and on, but finally he collapsed boundless. His concentration blew like a fuse, and with it went the posh room, the comfortable dark furnishings, and Crowley. Cock still weakly pulsing, body twitching, Aziraphale looked down at himself. White trousers shoved roughly to mid-thigh, a mess of white fluid soaking into his white shirt. Pale hands, transparent desk, Cold radiance spotlighting every shameful detail of what he'd done. Shameful, a voice whispered. No, messy, yes, and inelegant and organic and so very human, but 
Not shameful. Never that. For just a moment, Crowley was leaning over him again, squeezing his shoulders and smiling. Be seeing you, Angel, he said, and was gone. Aziraphale straightened up. He wiped his eyes. More slowly, he plucked a handkerchief out of the air and cleaned up, tucked himself away. No one came in. Be seeing you, Angel, Crowley heard himself say. He opened his eyes. He hadn't been able to go back to his flat after... after everything. But if you had a decent imagination, the inside of a vintage Bentley could look pretty much however you wanted. Demons had a handshake relationship with the laws of physics at best, and liminal spaces were a speciality of his. So the Bentley was bigger on the inside when he wanted it to be, generally in a forlorn, echoing hallway sort of way, but last night he'd recreated the smoking room from his London residence in the 1860s. It was sufficiently comfortable while still being dark and brooding, which suited his mood, and more importantly, Zirafiel had never been there. There should have been no reminders, nothing to make him think of the age Zirafiel. Just to be sure, he'd drunk himself into what should have been a dreamless stupor, but it hadn't been enough. Crowley leaned his throbbing forehead against the arm of the sofa. His mouth tasted like furry pennies, but he'd have to drink more tonight. That or give up sleeping, because he couldn't be having dreams like that. As he were feel here with him, cheeks pink and mouth dropping open as he touched himself, an expression of odd surprise on his face, making choked-off noises in his throat, saying things like Crowley and kiss me, cheeks wet with tears. Crowley rose slowly and went over to the wingback where Zirafiel had sat, looked at it for a long time. Then he clenched his jaw, waved a hand and vanished the room, furniture, curtains, walls and all. He hadn't seen the marks of fingernails in the chair's brushed leather arm, and there certainly hadn't been a single white hair on the chair back where Dream Aziraphale had rested his head and cried out as he came. A voice whispered in the back of his mind, You're a demon. You lie. Crowley ignored it. He threw the Bentley into gear and roared away. The end.